I think younger consumers in particular are more leery of credit card debt and of, I think not just credit cards, but of revolving credit. One of the things we discovered is, is that borrowers are, are rate sensitive, which isn't really shocking, right? Um, but the other part of that is that borrowers are also effort sensitive. And when you raise the friction involved in getting your loan, sometimes they're willing to take a higher rate for a simpler process, a faster process. Hello and welcome to VNext Remix by Veritran. This is your podcast to understand how digital technologies are disrupting traditional finance as we know it. I'm your host, Katie Janos Small, the CEO and founder of Upana. In each episode, I speak to leaders at the front lines of digital transformation to help you understand what's ahead. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Jeff Keltner to the show. Jeff is the Senior Vice President of Business Development at Upstart, which is an AI lending marketplace that works with banks and credit unions. Jeff also hosts the Leaders in Lending podcast, where he discusses the future of the financial services industry with consumer lending executives and other leaders in the space. Jeff's a computer engineer who's worked in Google's cloud division before he joined Upstart. Jeff, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to speak to you about the future that you see in the lending industry. Well, thanks for having me, Katie. It's going to be a lot of fun. So, Jeff, what is the biggest change, would you say, that you've seen in consumer lending in the U.S. recently? Biggest change recently? I mean, I think there, there are so many. Um, you know, I think there is a, I'll name a few. One, I think, is the, clearly the shift to um, digital transformation. I think you said that in your introduction, but the, the shift to how do we enable digital experiences, I think, increasingly a shift to go beyond digital to, to simpler experiences, not just digital, but better. Um, Another, I think, is a, a little bit of a, a retrenchment from for many consumers from revolving debt, right? With a desire to move to installment products, you see that with the growth of personal loans, really is a is a replacement. And I think it's part and parcel with the shift we've seen in the U.S., which is different in some other countries, but um, where many younger consumers are avoiding credit cards and using debit cards. And I think it's this kind of push to to better understand when you're borrowing, how much you're borrowing, what the terms that you're borrowing under are, and to maybe avoid borrowing unless you unless you really need it. Um, so I think there's some really interesting shifts um, on, on all those fronts. And then probably the last one, ask for one, I'm going to give you three, but uh, is this kind of embedded finance concept, the, the shift to lending being, being more available at a point of transaction, uh, be that kind of being integrated into even home buying experiences, but particularly you see it in uh, you know car shopping and then things with buy now pay later where you're actually applying for financing at the point of purchase I think is a is a pretty interesting shift in the way lending happens. That is really interesting, and I think those last two points are kind of related, right? That move towards the point of sale financing and kind of buy now pay later, which is often presented as something that's in, in installments versus whipping out a credit card, which maybe previous generations might have done more readily. Is that? Um, is that kind of a fair summary? And yeah, I, I think it is. I think younger consumers in particular are more leery of credit card debt, and of, I think not just credit cards, but of revolving credit where they don't fully understand the dura- like you know how long it's going to take to pay back what the cost of borrowing will be. Uh, and so I think that's part of why they like installment lending, and part of why they like to you know versus a credit card where I think for a lot of people they're not sure when they're swiping it if they're if they're transacting or they're revolving, right? Mm. They don't, they may not have done the math. They go, am I paying this off in full or is this a purchase that needs to be financed? And I think part of the buy now, pay later trend is is a decision to make that an intentional choice. Either this is something I can pay for right now because I have the money or it's something I can't. And then I'm making a choice to borrow 
But I think sometimes that happens accidentally in the context of credit cards. And I think it's a, a choice for consumers to be more intentional about that decision. What do you think about the argument, though, that buy now, pay later almost makes it too easy, right? And then you can have a bunch of different installment loans with, with a whole lot of different merchants or a bunch of different providers. There is something to be said for a credit card, which is, well, I guess people also collect credit cards, but you have you kind of know where you know where you owe it to, right? You've got one yeah. typically central repository for for what you owe. I think the challenge is more so right now that the, we don't have the same kind of aggregation at a consumer level and frankly, often at a credit reporting level of those obligations, right? Like in many instances are not reported to credit bureaus. And so, you know, you might be, somebody might be extending you more credit than they, than they would have were they to understand other obligations you have in terms of other buy now, pay later loans. And same, similarly, most of the services that are providing a consumer aggregation for budgeting or looking at your finances, like they don't tie into those. And so you don't have the ability to get the same kind of single view. Um, so, I, but I mean, like at the end of the day, any, any lending vehicle, any borrowing vehicle can be abused. It can be, um, you know, people can borrow when they shouldn't. Uh, and I don't think buy now, pay later is a, is a you know, panacea for the problems with consumers over leveraging. But I do think it makes much more clear to you when you're taking out a loan, what the cost and the terms of that will be. Right. What the like? How long am I going to have to pay? How much am I going to have to pay? And what's it going to cost me in total? Um, so I think that's very real. But I do think there's also something about the zero percent, the, the interest free that maybe we act a bit irrationally as consumers. We're not quite prepared to, uh, to to make a rational choice about when that's of a substantial enough value to, to borrow and when it's not. Yeah, it definitely looks pretty attractive, doesn't it? Pay it all now or pay it off in installments at no cost. It, it does. And if you've read any behavioral economics, you know that like free has a particularly powerful, um, there's all these studies that kind of show like people think the value between X and Y is like 10 cents and you make it 10 cents at zero, they'll be a totally different thing than if you make it like five cents and 15 cents. But they just like, when we get to zero, we, we start to behave irrationally. And I imagine there's a little bit of that happening. And anytime there's interest free, you know, free sounds good. I don't want that free. I should take as much free as I can get, right? <laughs> Of course. Why wouldn't you want it? Um, yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting, though, right? Because when you started talking about the, the maybe the generational shift from credit cards towards these instalment type payments, I was thinking, well, maybe it's that these newer generations are more financially literate. Maybe there's better financial education. But it seems like there's also risks with these new um, ways of of borrowing. For sure. Do you think there's still a need for more financial education? I think there's uh, absolutely a need for more financial education. The number of you know, as a simple example, consumers who will come to Upstart, where we offer kind of installment loans, often used to refinance credit cards, uh, and there's an origination fee tied with most of those, most of those loans um, that our that our lenders require. And like the number of consumers who don't really understand the difference between an interest rate and an APR, and how a fee might play into what those two numbers mean, and you know, that's like it's hard to think that you can make a really informed decision without understanding those things. And I and I, I don't put that all on the consumers. I think we as a society have kind of left people on their own. Uh, it's one of those things I feel like ought to be part of a core curriculum for, you know, like I, I'm not going to let my kids graduate from high school and leave my house with a credit card and no real understanding of what compound interest is and what revolving debt is versus installment debt and how to think about budgeting. But it's not something we have emphasized enough as a society. So I think people are, you know, would benefit from a deeper understanding of those issues and the ability to, to weigh in a more concerted way the choices they get to make. So with all of that in mind, let's talk about what the implications are of that for the financial institutions, for banks, you work with credit unions, for fintechs. How is this shift in borrowing habits uh, affecting them and, and how should they be responding? Well, I think one is just 
having the kinds of products consumers want, right? So, you know, having things like unsecured consumer loans, which traditionally banks have been a bit wary of, right? Um, where, you know, maybe you had a credit card, you didn't have this product. Maybe it's getting into, you know, embedded finance and making sure your financing is available at point of purchase for, for different places from a consumer acquisition point of view. I think the other part of that um, that's very real is to, to win in these spaces, things we discovered as we built the business is that borrowers are, are rate sensitive, which isn't really shocking, right? Like if you raise the price of borrowing, fewer people will want to take your loan. And that's like intuitive. Um, but the other part of that is that borrowers are also effort sensitive. <laughs> and when you raise the friction involved in getting your loan, sometimes they're willing to take a higher rate for a simpler process, a faster process, right? Maybe one of the key examples of this is what's happened um, to the, the um, home equity line of credits, which have been declining year over year for many years in the United States and often replaced by slightly higher interest rate, but faster to close processes. Those, those loans often take 60, 90 days to close. People go, and I need a new air conditioner and I really should get the rate of a HELOC, but like, I don't want to wait 90 days in the heat to get the thing. I'm going to go get a, an unsecured loan and it's maybe it's a point and a half or two points more expensive, but it, it can be here tomorrow. And so I think, you know, my advice to lenders is always think about the products you offer and how that mix may have shifted, but also understand that you need to make the process easy. And I don't just mean digital. I think often we see people thinking that, well, I have to go digital. And, and I agree, people want to apply digitally. But if you take the process that was your paper process in a branch and you just turn it into a digital process, you take the same form, you make it digital, you take the same three-day manual underwrite and you have it just behind a screen, right? You have the same 12 documents to bring in and you just upload them. You have it, you've digitized the process for sure, and that's better, but you haven't simplified it. And the context of digital gives you tools to make that a simpler process. And I think that's the other thing lenders need to understand is that your borrowers are looking for different products and they're looking for simpler experiences, faster value, and you have to learn how to deliver on that. And it's not, it's not easy. Um, and it's not, you know, it's not simple as, and it's not just digital. That's one of the things I think people are, can, can miss right now is that you can be digital and clunky. Sure can, yeah. <laughs> and that's not that much better than, than being non-digital in many instances, because consumers are, like I said, they're effort sensitive as much as they are rate sensitive. Are there some good examples that you've seen of um, banks that have digitized their lending or some of their lending products in a way that, the, that they've also simplified it? Oh, for sure. I mean, you're starting to see all sorts of people who are, you know, just to move to e-signatures. I talked to one bank, he's like, we've got a digital auto loan. I said, it's great, tell me about it. And then, you know, yeah, yeah, apply online. And then, and then you, and then you come to the branch and you sign the paperwork and we hand you a check. Was, oh, you had me until long. <laughs> um, so, but you know, you're seeing banks that are doing that. I think the, you know, a lot of this really sits in the fraud um, ID income verification and can we move away from documentation requirements, right? So we can actually get to, you know, a lot of that data, by the way, is digitally available. Services like Plaid, if, I'm, if I used to use bank statements to validate your income, uh, it's great to do it via Plaid, but I, my argument would be it's, I think the first bank would go, let's let's use Plaid to pull it in and then we'll have a human look at it the way they did the bank statement. And I go, well, okay, but now the person's still waiting. And then you see some banks are going, oh, we're processing it digitally and we're able to look and validate the income without a human. And then it can be instant, not come back two days later. And that, that difference between, kind of like the difference between free and a little bit is, is really large. The difference between right now and come back in a day is really tremendous. And if you've gone digital, but it's still come back in a day, I think you're you're missing an opportunity, at least particularly in these you know smaller duration, less smaller size products. It's probably hard to do that for a mortgage, but for a credit card or for an unsecured loan or for a buy now pay later loan, 
that's kind of table stakes. And I think that's, um, I think some banks are doing it really well and, and some are catching up. Do you think it needs to be instant, instant, or is it like, is there some manual verification going to be required anyway, even if it's quick or, or is there, I mean, like, I think, I mean, I think the closer you can get to instant, instant, the better. You're never going to be hundred percent, everybody instant, instant. I mean, we, right now for our lenders, we see over 70%, what instance may be the wrong word, but I think of it as in session, like that I have to go away and come back or could I finish mm-hmm. it while I was sitting down in this moment. Uh, and over 70% of the loans we can do right now in this moment. Now, of course, that's harder in an auto loan or a, or a mortgage. Um, and then there's some people that need to review. And there, the time to review really matters. But I, I think of it as like, if you can get to that, hey, I, I can. I started the process. And if I'm, com- if I'm really done and I've signed the paperwork, and when I finish the process in 20 or 30 minutes, I'm all the way through, that's a big win. And I think most manual reviews end up with a, well, you know, go grab a coffee and come back in 30 minutes and we'll tell you what's going on. Of course, People get distracted, they go do other things, and it's, it's hard to bring them, sometimes hard to bring them back at the same rate. We saw, for instance, the Delta in our digital experience between having one document uploaded, an ID, a bank statement, whatever, and being fully instant in that sense of like in session one time uh, was a two to three X increase in pull through. So like two to three X the same business uh, on, on the same upfront interest is, is a pretty big Delta. So you're saying two to three times more people completed the process when you didn't ask them to upload any documents. That's right. Versus when you did. Yeah. And and by the way, not only do more people complete, but it turns out that really good borrowers are more effort sensitive than fraudsters. So the, the people who were <laughs> driven away by manual processes were actually generally good borrowers that you wanted, right? And so you, you, there's a little bit of adverse selection in that, but you your intuition might be, well, that's great. You got a lot more through, but then you had a lot of bad people come through. It turns out that's not really what happens, right? The good borrowers are the ones who go, oh man, I'm not going through that process, um, right? And then there's a lot of people with fake pay stubs that they're willing to upload in an attempt to get your to get your loan. <laughs> that's that is that's fascinating. So for 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 banks, uh, credit unions that are that are looking to you know digitize or mm-hmm. simplify rather their um, their lending services, where do you recommend they start? Like, what are some I mean, I think it's always got to start. It's a little different for every institution in terms of the right product or focus. Um, but I think it's a mindset that really has to take hold in the institution, right? And I don't want to say you got to turn into a Silicon Valley company, but I think the the one thing I would learn from there is always, I was, uh, was always starting, as Amazon would say, working backwards from the customer experience. I think so often we architect our experiences around our internal processes. Um, there's a saying sometimes in Silicon Valley, don't ship your org chart where your customer experience, like often if you go to a website and you look at the top nav items, you'll find the departments of the senior vice presidents who report to the CEO very clearly listed. You haven't given the consumer what they need. You've, you've shipped them your org chart of how you're organized. And so I think reorienting your, your operation around how do I um, really think about the consumer first and build that experience. And then something one of my bank partners said to me is, is that Jeff, any digital transformation has to start with a process re-engineering. Right? We have to we have to think about the process, start from the consumer's point of view and be willing to re-architect how we think about the flow a mortgage needs to go through or the flow a HELOC needs to go through and who touches it when and why and what their purpose is and re-engineer that with the context of digital capabilities in mind. So I think where you start in your org very much depends on what businesses you have, what are the, you know, what are the most important to any given lender and, and where do they have volume and customers want to see value. But I think that a process of how do I start with the consumer's experience and not what I have internally 
and think about re-engineering the process behind it, not just getting a digital tool. And so many digital tools are like, build your workflow in here. And what do you do? You like, you rebuild the exact same workflow. You just do it in a digital tool instead of walking paper desk to desk. And I think you've got to really start with that concept. How do I re-engineer the process from a consumer's point of view? And, and then you go make that happen. And that's that can mean breaking down barriers between orgs. It used to be, well, that's my thing and not your thing. And and so that's that's where I think the challenge comes is in navigating those internal bureaucracies and, and differences of opinion to make things happen. But that's the starting point. It has to be a cultural commitment to that. Start with the consumer and, and be willing to re-engineer your process to get to the right experience for them. Right, because otherwise you'll end up, like you said earlier, just digitizing that 12-step process, which is uh, which is not, what, yeah, yeah. not, not really going to help. Uh, absolutely. Uh, you're going to digitize the thing that you do um, and you're going to have somebody used to have a 12, 12 check point checklist in paper. They're going to have a 12 point checklist on an iPad, but it's the same checklist. It's the same person doing the same thing. And that's maybe an improvement. It's more efficient. It's a little less costly, but it doesn't drive the kinds of fundamental changes in the experience for your customers that are possible today and that the winning lenders are going to deliver. Chief, you've mentioned a few different types of consumer lending uh, over, over this conversation. What would you, which is the one where you see the most opportunity for growth if, if lenders can kind of improve their, their digital processes? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think there's, I can answer your question very differently with two different kinds of perspectives on what it means for the most progress. Because I think in some ways, things like unsecured loans are the place where you can really realize the absolute far end of the spectrum, right? It's like, there's no security, there's no lien in title. There, it's really simple. And so you can actually kind of build a best, like kind of the ideal experience in some of those asset classes. Credit cards would probably be there. Buy now, pay later is there. Um, but then again, if you think about a mortgage, which you probably can't get to that experience, right? There's too many regulations. There's things like appraisals. But the delta between ideal and current is much larger. So you can, in many ways, close the gap further, even though you can't realize the same kind of close to what we think maybe the best state in 10 years will be. So I think it depends on, on how you're thinking about it, right? Like the best experiences will be in the simplest products to start, but the biggest opportunities are in, in the more complex projects, products because they're just so much harder. Uh, I think auto is a great example of that, like uh, buying, but if anybody's bought a home and gone through the mortgage process or bought a car and sat down at the dealer and like pages of paperwork show up and what's going on and what do I, can I get other offers? And it's just not that clear. Uh, and I think there's a lot of room there for improvement. So I say everywhere, it's like a green field, right? Where there's different kinds of opportunity, but it's all over the place. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Um, fascinating. Well, Jeff, look, it's time for us to move on to the lightning round of quick questions and, and quick answers. You ready? I'm ready. I'll have the quickest answers I can. Jeff, what book are you reading right now? I just finished a book called Working Backwards. Um, I love this book. Fantastic. What is the best piece of professional advice you've received? I've received so much professional advice along the way that's been fantastic. Um, but as a guy who spent a lot of my time in sales and business development on, on the edge of negotiation, uh, and something I try and teach my kids too, is uh, you have to ask the question, um, which is in sales so often we like want to present what we have and then like you stop and you, you wait for the person to say, oh, I'd love to buy that. <laughs> uh, and you never say, hey, would you like to buy this? Uh, and so, I, you know, if you want something, you've got to ask the question. Awesome. What is the app on your phone that, we, that you use the most? 
I'd love to say it's the camera because I don't get addicted to my phone and all the apps, but that would be untrue. <laughs> uh, according to Apple, it's, it's Gmail, which uh, beats out Slack uh, as my most used app. And, and next would probably be Slack and LinkedIn. So those are my top three. When will we stop using cash? I think some of us already have. Uh, you know, I, I actually called my bank and said, I just want $2 bills now because they're great for tips. Uh, and it's all I ever use cash for. So I don't, these 20s are like not, not useful to me. Where can I get to? So I think some of those last years, it'll be one of those long tail where like, I don't use cash 99% of the time, uh, but that last 1%, it, it could be a long time before we get rid of it for, for tips. But we expect it to happen real fast, but then in the medium term, things go farther than you think. And I think cash will be gone sooner than, sooner than many people think. Finally, Jeff, who else do you recommend that we invite onto this show? I think uh, to recommend, I actually would recommend bringing on, um, I'll give you specific names, but I think there's a lot of data and infrastructure players that are really interesting, be it like Zach from Plaid, um, right, which is a really interesting data layer, or the folks from MX who do similar things, um, where there's actually like the, you know, some of the interesting stuff is in the, this data aggregation and how that stuff comes together. And I recommend that one. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Jeff. This episode has flown by. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a fascinating conversation. We could have been speaking for hours, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll leave it here for today. But thank you very much for your time. Uh, I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Case. It was a lot of fun. And thank you for tuning in for this new series of Next Remix. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and turn on notifications to be the first to hear the next episode. We'll be back soon with more V Next Remix Insights.